Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 75 to Paris Charles de Gaulle. Finally, it took us 75 episodes to get here. <laughs> For a good reason, we've been putting it on. It's like, you know, trying to find reasons not to do something you really don't want to do. <laughs> we've talked about it. We hinted at it so many times during our crazy run, 75 episodes. I cannot believe we're 75. No, me neither. The reason we chose it is, of course, because we had to do it at some point, because it's episode 75, so it's a round number-ish, and also because France won the World Cup. Yeah, it feels like an appropriate juncture to, uh, quote-unquote, celebrate this airport. (laughs) Well, you know what? I was there last week. I did a trip. I lied in a previous episode. I said I was about to go with Cathay Pacific. I didn't lie, but I changed my mind and I ended up going with KLM and Air France, starting and landing at the final leg in Charles de Gaulle. I mean, not that I've done Frankfurt. You know what? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe Frankfurt is actually worse. Uh, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode because <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's quite an interesting airport, actually. Um, yeah, France has won. England didn't. Sorry, they did not. No, they did really well. It was it was nice to see the media being so kind. I think that's probably the best word to the to the team the day after they they lost the semi final to Croatia. It was great to see. It was a great World Cup, and I it took me several days to figure out what to do with myself after it all ended. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and for those who don't like soccer, you'll be relieved that it's obviously our last ever episode to talk about the World Cup until four years in in the future. Yeah. But uh, yeah, in Croatia, you, you had a citizenship of Croatia because you went to the squares. I, I'm sure you were a little bit gutted. Yeah, it was it was a heck of a final though for like the, the rest of the world cup it was really good for the neutral fan it was uh quite a spectacle so yes i was sad for sad for croatia but i think france uh had some some great players that uh deserved it and it was cool to see was didier deschamps the third player manager to ever win the world cup as both player and manager something like so. that wow well, yeah, he deserves it. And you know what? If I had put money at the start of the World Cup, France would have been the horse I would have bet on because really, I think they they, they had they left at least like seven to ten players that could have been world class talent. True. Not even taking them with them in, in in Russia, I was really rooting for small nations. It was nothing against Me France too. because I love it. So I would have loved Belgium, who lost also in the semi and or Croatia. France was. Very good at reading the adversaries, at creating a strategy, and that's why they won. I will not stop hearing about it for the next four years, obviously. And I know we have some French listeners, I'm sure. We still love you. But please do not hammer that every time we see you. (laughs) (laughs) You can do it a few times, but not, not all the time. Yeah, actually, it was very fun because the following day after the defeat of England, I was at uh, T5, Heathrow. And at 10 a.m., the signs still had the hashtag, it's coming home. Oh, and at 10 05, they probably they realized, oops, you know, like somebody went to like change them. So it was, it was kind of, you know, endearing. Let's put it that uh, way. Yeah, I, I like that. I think that um, Heathrow have gotten good at getting involved in subtle ways like that. The Star Wars thing was neat and yeah. it was nice seeing them get engaged. So, 
Yeah, Absolutely. great World Cup. And there was a, there was a tweet. Now I forgot. I don't have the link. By the way, the show notes are like ten episodes are out. I'm so sorry, guys. I will maybe have time in August. Uh, there was a. <laughs> Uh, Gareth Southgate, for those who don't know, he's the coach of the England team, uh, look like. And the cool thing for Aviation Geeks is actually a BA pilot. The guy actually even apparently showed up in his job so, as a BA pilot, dressed like, you know, with, you know, the exact same way like Gareth would actually <laughs> dress on the bench. So that was super cool. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. And I guess, uh, Sales of, of waistcoats from m and have like spiked by like 90% or something like that. He's, he's turned into quite the trendsetter, for better or worse. <laughs> exactly. So one thing about the World Cup before we move on, because it's related to aviation, I had a question. People were saying, yeah, I cannot watch the live games. What are the airlines that are providing live TV? So I, I looked it up. And I mean, although the World Cup itself uh, has ended, it still means that you can watch sports. I don't have, and you probably do have maybe all the coverage of the U.S., airlines but internationally including some of the u.s is aero mexico air italy so that's meridiana american airlines ana emirates etihad garuda hong kong airlines lufthansa qatar thai turkish and WestJet. these are the ones that are for sure have live sports on so it's also wimbledon i mean that's also over and federer didn't win for crying out loud and uh, other other sports so if you're interested you, you have to fly one of these 13 i think in the u.s this might be others as well I'm not yeah sure there are quite a few of them that, are uh, that have either live, live streaming or have streaming to the device a lot, a lot of airlines. I have to, I have to admit, over here have that that feature or functionality. Well, we'll see when we record our episode. I don't know, God knows, two hundred and eighty-four in uh, four years. Maybe all the actual airlines will have some kind of ways to watch the World Cup. I'm we'll not see, holding but... my breath. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when we see the rollout of, of Wi-Fi in Europe, yeah, clearly Europe won't have anything. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> uh, we are recording today uh, the 30th of July, so just at the tail end of July. Alex is actually in California. What time is it for you? It is 12 minutes past 7 in the morning. Oh, wow. Did you have your coffee yet? <laughs> I am quietly uh, taking it off mic, <laughs> lest I fall asleep at the keyboard. <laughs> well, I woke up at five this morning and it's uh, 3.30 here in London because I am in London. As I said last episode, we're not traveling that much. You did want to travel. Uh, I mean, you went to California. We'll talk about that uh, in a few. You also did another travel to Seattle. As we mentioned, the thing is, guys, we already know the content of our next episode. So we decided that we're going to put a lot of the U.S.-related news for the next episode, which means that, hey, you'll have to wait for next episode for Alex to tell us about how was for him flying Alaska. (laughs) No comment. My God. <laughs> I mean, you can see glimpses of his comments on Twitter because you uh, you had a few snarky comments when you were yeah, flying them. Is, but yeah. you, they were, you were not too harsh. Let's no, I wasn't. I, I, I tried to not be as harsh as perhaps I could at least justify in my own mind being. <laughs> there was uh, <laughs> Daryl Smith on Twitter. Uh, okay, Daryl, you have uh, a great name, but your handle is at Daryl S81193422. So I don't know if that's a phone number. It's zip code. Not, <laughs> it's maybe a code. Maybe some ASCII. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you said that he was about to board the longest flight in the world on Qatar. So probably the one from Doha to Auckland. He said, feed up, plenty of time to catch up on our episodes and all the past episodes all downloaded and ready to go. Daryl, I mean, we appreciate that, but I hope, I don't know, let us know how was that very, very yeah. long flight with our voices because Are I'm you sure still we made it even longer. <laughs> 
Uh, well, so yeah, tell us, Daryl, if we made your trip actually better or worse. Since you're having coffee, let's talk about coffee for for a minute. I don't know if you've seen that story, Alex, uh, Turkish. One of the board member of Turkish Airlines, I don't exactly remember what exact position, but he's a board member. So a very important person, let's yeah. say was on a Turkish airline a flight. And a crew member comes to him and asks him, how would you like your coffee, sir? And he flipped out, completely flipped out. You remember that he did the peanut girl on yeah, Korean yeah. Air? That style of flipping out, saying that it's unacceptable that a crew from Turkish Airlines wouldn't know how an executive board member would like his coffee oh, without having to ask him. Give me a what? break. Yeah, this is crazy, right? The entitlement is staggering. But look, there's, that's not the end of the story. Turkish created a hundred-person cabin crew specialized to cater for management. So now, if you are a Turkish airline management management or executive board member like this guy was, well, you'll have a special trained crew serving you so that they know, I guess, how do you like your coffee? So not only not only it's entitled, but then Turkish actually followed up on, created this special task force, I guess, for people that are very important. I don't get it. What a complete waste of resources and training <laughs> and time. Ugh, that's just yeah. gross. And obviously, when the story was leaked out to the press, what did the Turkish government do? They did a press ban. On the story. Of course. Yeah, well. Look, uh, I love Turkish Airlines and I love Turkey, but this is not a story that shines a very good light no, on, on, on the airline. At all. Uh, still talking about Turkey because, you know, the other big story is, will the new airport open in time? It doesn't have a name yet. For the moment, they call it the Istanbul Grand Airport. Uh, that's not a definite name, and I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be called the Erdogan Airport, maybe. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know and, what? Uh, you, you joke, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. Uh, so there's uh, less than 100 days before it opens, and there was an article in the Financial Times, one of the reporters went there to see what's going on, and basically nothing is ready. They're still goats, like still pasturing where the runway should be. What? Uh, so it's, yeah, it's like, I mean, there's stuff being built. I mean, let's say it's not like a, a plane, nothing, but I mean, it's really, really, really tight. There's a very cool quote from one of the officials at for East, he says, you know the Italian job? That's a movie, guys, if you if you don't know it. This is kind of like the Turkish job. <laughs> so they're hacking it together. That's they're not, not good. so they won't even have a dry run of the software system just uh, two weeks before they actually opened the airport. So they're not even sure it's gonna work. <laughs> that <laughs> it's just, it's that crazy. has that has literal and figurative disaster written all over it. To be honest, I really hope they do it. They achieve that. Yeah, of course. And you know what? Turks and Greeks, who a lot of similarities when the 2004 Olympic Games uh, were about to start. It was a month before and nothing, literally nothing was ready. We painted the lines at 100 meters, like probably 10 minutes before we actually ran it or something. So, I mean, I, I'm giving them the... So, and they really need they really need a new airport. So I really hope at least something can be dealt with. There should be two runways accommodating up to 80 or 90 million people at opening. So that's really, really big. There won't be, and that's the other thing, there won't be any Fastlink train or anything like that to go there. The officials saying, yeah, but cars are enough. 
Well, most people, though, unless you're Turkish and you live in Istanbul or you visit Istanbul, most people use Turkish as a, just a layover airport. So probably that would work. I really hope they did make it, but that would be really, be really exciting. And also because your father had that experience, they will shut down completely the current Atatürk airport for 12 hours, move everything to the other one and open it. So that's also will be like something quite on a grand scale, and I hope everything works there. I admire any logistical effort like that, be it aviation or otherwise, where you, you overnight you move something from one area to another, and to most of the public, it feels relatively seamless. I just can't even wrap my head around the the, the planning and the orchestration necessary to, to pull something like that off. So I, I wish them the best, too. I hope it goes well. 14,000 vehicles will be going from one airport to the other to transport everything. It must be quite a spectacle to see all these like tugs driving down the middle of Istanbul, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because the current airport is south and uh, the new one, that new one, guys, if you go on Google Maps, is uh, northwest, which is probably the only part of Istanbul that isn't built. So, I mean, yeah. they made a good choice because that's the only one that they can actually build. I think at the end, it will be four runways expandable to six, I think. So there's really a lot of room that's why they chose that that's place good that like they thought yeah exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> they, 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 well i mean to heathrow's i don't know defense it was built however many decades yeah, ago at that time they didn't know they would be the city would be next to it right it's like you know, absolutely uh and to finish off that uh, one other quote which i love it says uh on the 31st of october so that's halloween we are going to be a uh, twitter trend positive or negative so uh, another, we, we talked about uh, security in the last episode and not going to go through this this time because otherwise you'd be bored, guys. But uh, there's a new regulation that is about to take place, at least for the UK, I think for the entire European Union, powder. So that includes baby powder and coffee. I just mentioned Turkish coffee will be banned from hand luggage. I think for baby powder, there will be like maybe 200 grams or something that will be allowed because otherwise, you know, maybe if you want to change your baby diapers, it might be not great. So leading up to my question, how was your trip going to California with your kids and especially your very young girl? BA did a good job. And, you know, that type of regulation, I think... There's always exemptions for for baby formula and airport yeah. security are very understanding. They go through a sort of not battery that makes it sounds re really overwhelming, but they, there's a few tests that they run to make sure that everything is as it should be for for baby equipment. But they're generally very good, and that was certainly mm -hmm. the case with us for T5 because we can't use the first wing security at T5 because there's I have oh. I have 600 children, so they, they, <laughs> um, but, and they're very apologetic about it. They always sort of say, well, you can only bring in one guest and there's five. And I don't push the, the subject at all. Yeah. You know, we could use it for check-in and they, I had my bike with me. We had a stroller, we had a, a car seat and I didn't have to take the big bulky items to the to the to special baggage area where you put in the... the oh, I see. You, wow. They did it for me. They did everything. They were very kind. They were very patient. They made sure we had the seats that we wanted because we usually sit in a slightly unusual configuration compared to most other normal families. So very diligent. Going through security was was slower than it normally is, but it was also starting to ramp up to summer. Maybe a 10-minute wait at most. So nothing to cry about. We didn't even try and go into the lounge because my kids get bored so so, so we just <laughs> they kind of have champagne yeah, yeah they don't it's not nearly as nice and uh but like i think we've mentioned it in previous episodes there's a um a reasonably good indoor play area in terminal five and they're they're much more interested 
uh, in doing that. And they wanted ramen as well. So they had all of their itches scratched. But the flight over was, it was fine. It was on a, we flew into San Jose in California, which is served by a 789. Uh, and it oh, was, nice. yeah, it was nice. And, and the, the crew were outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. In particular, one member of the cabin crew called Kate, who I just want to mention by name. She was so fantastic to not just my wife and my daughter, but the entire family, making sure the boys were loaded up with sweets. I mean, I'm, I wasn't as appreciative of that when they started bouncing off the walls, but they loved it. <laughs> I, I, I really did appreciate it because she, she made sure they had everything they wanted. If they didn't want the meal, she went and kind of found something in business class to bring back to them. She made sure that my wife had everything she needed for the baby. It was really, really impressive. And I've noticed that, I don't know what's changed at BA, and I'd be interested to see if you've experienced this as well. Something about the soft product, especially on short haul, but now it appears on long haul as well. Something has changed. I agree. There's a tone change. There was a, a, a slightly weird lapse in professional protocol with one of the flight attendants. Just just in a conversation, I was. He was a really really nice guy. I went back to the galley with my daughter just to just to calm her down and settle her a little bit. But he was like telling me all these things. I'm like, I feel like you probably shouldn't be telling me all of these things. Um, I, w- I won't repeat any of them. And, and none of it was juicy or in any way detrimental to – he wasn't giving away trade secrets. But I was like, this is this is slightly weird. But the, but the rest of, the, of it was outstanding. I was so impressed by them. And I don't know if you noticed this as well. I don't know when the last time you flew long haul on BA is. But the, they've, they've done something to the IFE. Perhaps based on feedback, I don't know, but the oh, the oh. depth of the IFE offerings is much much greater now. Like they had things like movies that that people of our generation were like, you know what, I haven't seen in a long time that I wouldn't mind kind of zoning out and watching. Like fifteen of those movies, like Napoleon Dynamite and Hot Fuzz and stuff like that, where you're like, I'd want, I've seen this movie fifteen times, I'd be happy to watch another hundred times just out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> Which is great. It's exactly the kind of content you want on the IFE. Yeah. And Cathay, I mentioned, I think on the last episode, are really good at that as well. So, you know, it was a fine flight. It's a long day flight. It's boring, but it was it was fine. <laughs> Hat tip to BA for really doing a great job of, uh, of just making what can be, frankly, a nightmare situation. Flying day flight, 11 hours with three kids. Very easy indeed. Uh, I liked it. And of course, flying into San Jose is a joy for an international flight because there's still hardly any any international flights there at the same time. So you breeze out of immigration, you you go into this adorable baggage hall where there's like one belt, one of which failed to function. So they were hand delivering all the bags, but our plane was literally parked outside. So they were just literally taking the, the bags off the plane, uh, uh, <laughs> passing them through this door into the baggage hall. So yeah, it was great. Uh, kudos to BA. Thank you to BA for making the trip over. Uh, good. We'll see what the red eye is like on the way home. But um, you know, you set an expectation, BA. Don't let me down. <laughs> <laughs> actually, you know what? I, I took uh, BA to go to Paris, which is the airport of this show, to actually do the trip that I'll mention later. And then, of course, as well, when I landed in, in Charles de Gaulle, back with BA to London. So very short haul because that's what less than an yeah. hour of actual flight time. 
especially on the way back, I remember the crew was um, out of this world. You know, I just had flown Air France, which is a really good product. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to do a short haul. I just want to go home. It was like, you know, the, it was the first flight in the morning, so 7.50 a.m. or something, leaving from Charles de Gaulle. You know what? It was fantastic. Nothing about you. Know, it's not the seat. There's no IFE. There's nothing. You know, it's just a 319, or I think it was. But the crew, especially the head of cabin, I don't remember the, what name they used, the pursuer uh, at BA, and I don't remember his name, I'm not as good as you, was absolutely fantastic. Like, it's probably the best experience. You know, I just had made very good flights, but this alone made me like, well, there you go. That's why I like BA. Yeah, I, I think they've done something. Uh, yeah, I and, and actually, one of the things that the chat mentioned to me that I, was about how they are segmented into... I can't remember the words that he used. And BA Travels will remind us, I'm sure. You've got mixed fleet, which obviously that means they work on multiple different types of airplane. And then you have, what did they call it? World, perhaps? And they have completely different management, completely different unions, is what he was talking about. And I think there's a general, one group is happier than the other. And I think that that yeah, shows. we've heard that during also the all the union you know negotiations yeah. that some unions were unhappy because they were not treated the same way, et cetera. So there's a lot of, I think it has to do with seniority, it has to do with contract, it has to do with a lot of things. I'm we're not sure. Maybe I don't know if they choose how do they mix the staff within the aircraft itself. Yeah. They, are they mixed at all? I don't know. But like you, the past. Four flights, and none of them were long haul, were short to medium haul with BA. I've seen a difference in how they behave. Not that they were bad before, right? I'm not trying to say. But clearly, maybe because they've heard all these negative comments about how BA is turning out, they had to maybe at least do something on a soft product yeah. to It's a point of differentiation, isn't it, at this point? Because it is. short haul in, in Europe, is they're all the same now. And until somebody... Yeah you know, drops a lot of money, time and energy into updating the hard product or at least doing something like, you know, Wi-Fi or, or some sort of IFE or making a, a seat that is, especially in business class, much, much better Then you can only compete on the soft product and be a seem to have invested in that. How was, how was your uh, uh, boarding experience at T5? Because for me, it was striking. I don't take BA as much as you do, but now not only do they have these group mm. things that all the US listeners will be very uh, used to, you know, one, two, three, four, five, or A, B, C, D, E, I don't know which, depending on which airline you fly, but they've also done like these very weird routing with a lot of cords. So you're supposed to enter one way for group one and another way for group two. And that was at least my case, which I, I get it is to avoid, you know, confusion on which line you're supposed to take. But that takes a huge space in front of the gates. Now. Yeah. And <laughs> did you have that? Well, my wife had the dreaded quad S on her boarding pass. So she was, on, oh, wow. she was subject, which I had weirdly on my last trip to the US. Uh, you means your subject to additional screening it's only for u.s yeah. bound flights and within the u.s of course yeah so she was paged uh, to the podium pretty much right when we got to the gate and then when they realized that we were family they took us all through oh so you were before the others anyway we were before the others anyway they but they were excellent they were calm they were well organized we were at the gates, um, we were at the C gates uh, at T5, which don't have a lot of space in front of them. So they have mm -hmm, to be mm -hmm. 
they have to do two things. They have to be very efficient and they have to rule with an iron fist when it comes to people being in the right place at the right time. And they did say that. They said, we board by group numbers and we'll, we'll send you back if you're not in the right one because we don't have enough space. Uh, okay, yeah, because in uh, the A-gates, uh, the main terminal of Terminal 5, guys, if you've ever been to, uh, there's a bit more space and they had created this kind of very strange layout, which works, I'm just saying, it's totally new. And also, by the way, all of us, including Group 1, which was different uh, before, so if you're business and you're gold, you go through the automatic gate, you scan your boarding pass and you enter. There's no more manual, unless, again, quadruple s or if you uh, need assistance or stuff like that you still will have your, your passage through an actual person otherwise they just say oh starting group one suddenly the, the gates in front become green and it means you can scan and you go into the, the airplane so they really try to automatize that uh, as as well anyway enough about ethro because i know that some of our listeners are you know they, they don't really know ethro uh the, the one thing the one false because we're since, since we're there when i had that story i was i was there and watching this very strange new layout and there was this other guy you know like you alex i'm First at the gate, obviously. Also because my app would tell me before the actual board, so I was already there. Uh, so I was lining up, and there was um, this person uh, behind me, and suddenly this person types on my shoulder, and I had my headphones, and he taps on my shoulder because actually I was blocking the way for the pilots to actually enter <laughs> the <laughs> But funnily enough, he says something. He says, um, yeah, you should let them pass unless you're qualified to fly a 320. And you know, and I and I laugh back, and I say, "Well, I'm not, but maybe you are." And he answers, "Yes, I am." And I'm like, "What?" Oh wow! <laughs> Turns out the guy used to be a 320 and other aircrafts pilot for BA for like at least 20 years, and now works because you just mentioned seat that actually triggered a story. Works for BAE, which was just acquired by Rockwell, which itself was just bought by United Technologies. He actually sells seats around oh, the world. Wow. So we started chatting about seat aircraft, seats, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But not only that, he also does. He has another business, and he told me every time. And Alex, you've experienced that more than me. The olive oil that you've tried in first class or business class in BA, that's him. No way. He's 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 showing me picture of the actual, you know, the the the, the fact it's not a factory, it's almost a farm in Italy where they produce it. And he's the guy who goes there and actually makes the deal and makes the, the olive oil be in first and business class for BA. So that was a fantastic experience uh. because for 20 minutes, instead of just listening to my headphones or whatever, I was chatting about airlines. Actually, we exchanged cards. I think he lives in Dubai now but also in the Philippines. Super cool guy. I love the kind of story. Uh, yeah, and where else in the world other than an airport can you have those kind of serendipitous you know, interactions with somebody who you – know, I love yeah. stuff like that. What a, what, a, what, a cool, what a cool meeting. Yeah, he actually – in the Philippines, the building he lives is literally the next door where oh, I used to live. So like literally, like, it's really like in the next block. Like I could see it from that window. Anyway, so that was a that was a that was a fun story. Uh, the big story uh, because we haven't touched it upon because we recorded. Although you guys have heard the episode lately, we recorded like uh, what three weeks ago. Uh, well, Boeing actually bought Embraer. Yeah. I mean, only the civil part. It's not a pure buyout. But come the, on, yeah, it's a JV. yeah, exactly. I, yeah, that's that's the <laughs> euphemism they use. I can't remember if it was a strategic alliance or a JV, but yeah, that was J- uh, yeah JV. It's a, uh, joint, I think it's a JV, and it's owned eighty percent by Boeing, which means that I mean, Embraer of course owns twenty percent, and Embraer is a little guy in, in that acquisition, but still, it's valued the hundred percent of value at four point seven or four point eight 
billion dollars, which means, I mean, I know it's a bit of a joke and not very serious, which means that Airbus was able to buy a Bombardier for one dollar, or Canadian dollar, actually, and uh, (laughs) he got to fork four billion to do that. Yeah, that's hilarious. I I mean, I'm sad. I'm, I'm slightly relieved that it wasn't a complete buyout. And I think that because of the Brazilian government's uh, hesitance to sell off the whole thing, especially the defense component of what Embraer make, mm-hmm. um, this was probably the the structure they came up with. And it feels like a defensive move by Boeing, given the market consolidation that we're seeing at the moment. But, but I'm interested to see if they take a similar branding route to whatever yeah because well, yeah because well yeah the they just actually we said it last time but they actually just flew the the first a two twenty dash three hundred so that's it used to be the c series three hundred they flew it with the Airbus colors in the thing like a week ago yeah. or something yeah so I, I don't know but if I don't think do so I, I I don't think so I mean at least not in the close future now in the future future it's possible there's even rumors that actually uh, they will tap into Embraer resources to develop that new mid-market aircraft, uh, that, uh, the 797. Seven. Yeah, yeah. And also the fact that there's low-cost production facilities in Brazil with less cost than the US. So that will also be an advantage. It's not only about the aircraft. Of course, they are important. You know, they are, uh, Embraer are very good aircraft, E-70, 90, et cetera, et cetera, but also for the actual production, the knowledge, yeah. The blueprints, etc. So that uh, that could be something. And to be to be honest, when you when you think about it, Boeing has a very much centralized way of developing aircrafts compared to Airbus, which has a very decentralized way of creating. Uh, it uses a lot of OEM, whereas uh, Boeing is very centralized. Of course, the, the seven eight seven was one of the first to actually try to decentralize it by using parts from all yeah. over the world. And I think they realized that. They need to be maybe more decentralized. And again, it's not because uh, Airbus was smarter. It's just because it's a European Union and everybody needed a piece of the, the cheese to make it happen, right? It was, But just it seems to be working for uh, nimble operations, to use a term that all management consultants love. It seems to be a bit better. So maybe that's also with the direction they're going by acquiring someone like Airbus. Yeah, it makes it. No, I think think. you're right. And I think it gives them an opportunity to have conversations with potential customers that they didn't have access to in the past. So somebody that is either a a pure Embraer operator or an Embraer and an Airbus operator, now they have a a much easier way of having those upsell conversations or at least a conversation with them now that they have that stake in in Embraer. Yeah, and and conversely, actually, it also gives reassurance to those who buy Embraer and especially Bombardier because that was one of the biggest problems with Bombardier. A lot of airlines were interested in the product because it's a great product, but they say, well, well, if Bombardier fails, we don't have any spare parts, everything goes to crap, right? So suddenly now it's Airbus, so they're they're trust that it will last. And the same thing for Embraer. Embraer was a probably in better shape than than Bombardier, but it gives also the kind of reassurance that you have like this worldwide network of, you know, second parts, worldwide network of like maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. So everything makes sense. I mean, we like we don't like that because it reduces the number of players, but for a commercial point of view, maybe we'll actually end up seeing more Embraer and more ex-Bombardier in the yeah, air. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's... that's- very, very likely. It's it's gonna be interesting how to see how it all plays out. There's so many, so many possibilities here. Yeah, we'll talk about the the founder of JetBlue was creating its new um, yeah. airline in the next episode. But he bought uh, like two sixty two twenties actually. So there you go. Interestingly, when they did that flight, so the first ever flight with the new name 
Airbus, it's really literally the same plane, guys. There's no difference. But interestingly, in the speeches there they made that day, and I picked up a, a few quotes here, it's quite interesting. One thing struck with me. First of all, they call it the 220. They call it, it's a baby 350. It, well, I mean, it certainly looks like it. <laughs> yeah. We kept saying the baby Dreamliner. Yeah, of course, yeah. you cannot say Dreamliner. But maybe <laughs> That'd be awkward. <laughs> they also say that they're going to transport all their... Uh, interior, you know, the new with like all the LEDs, the Airbus airspace, they're going to adapt that for the oh, 220, cool. uh, the, two, the two versions. And the one thing that I actually found very interesting, and I didn't know that, is that the base model is the 300. So the 100 is actually a reduced version of the base model, which means that we could see one day a 500 series or a 700 series. Wow. And some, that's, okay, that's really like shooting the stars into the future, but that could be the foundation for the follow-up to the 320. I'm interested, yeah, well, okay, so you just answered my question, which was, and we've talked about this in the past where any manufacturer consolidation conversation comes up, which is, how do they manage it so one one model or type isn't cannibalizing the sales of another? But it sounds like if they're, as you say, looking that far into the future that this could be the platform for something that replaces the the 320 series or is it, it is the sort of the next natural evolution in it then then yeah i can understand it there are always going to be customers for those smaller higher frequency type airplanes we've we've especially here in the u.s yeah. you look at all of the the smaller airlines that operate the express services for basically all the majors here they live and breathe on those types of airplanes. So there's obviously a market, but I'm always interested to look at the strategy for these big manufacturers of how they all slot into one overarching menu, if you will. Well, talking about uh, that, the MRJ, oh, <laughs> they didn't, they're really running out of luck. I mean, what, they were a farm borough, so farm borough just happened. It's the guys, it's the big uh, air show here in the UK. They had an accident on or something. There was, right? Yeah, I can't remember what the specifics were, but it, oh, yeah, they weren't yeah, able yeah. to do their their flight display that they had planned to do at Farnborough because something had happened. The, the the plane was hit by a truck. It really is cursed. <laughs> I mean, isn't it's it? unlucky, of course. Yeah, it's cursed. I mean, it's, oh my god, I really want because again. We say that in every episode, but we love having new entrants like the Sukhoi, et cetera, et cetera. So the MRJ Mitsubishi should. Be one, and they know they delayed. It's too heavy. They revision stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Too heavy for the scope closes in the U.S. By the way, but not only that, but then when they're actually ready to do like a display flight at one of the biggest air shows in the world, bummy hits gets hit by a truck. Uh, yeah, you're like what? Come I feel on. like perhaps they missed <laughs> the boat here. Then again, if you if you remember. Uh, when the Dreamliner was uh, developed, they had all these problems as well. It was a disaster. The first, actually, the first series of Dreamliner, the teen ones, are are still a disaster. Too heavy, et cetera, et cetera. They were not on spec. Not saying that it's the same, but saying that maybe, I mean, it's, it's Japan. They will try, and they will try, and they'll end up figuring something. There's no way that Japan cannot do an, air, no. an aircraft. No, you're right. Uh, at least I <laughs> I don't know. I, I but, but you know what? Um, that's I think it was one of the managers, directors, and only title for Mitsubishi said, um, well, the Bombardier C series had to be bailed out out of public money and then acquired by Airbus. Mitsubishi won't need Oof, to burn. So they're very confident that they are. Oh well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> I, I I know they have commitments from a few airlines, but I'm excited to see it actually go into production. So now the race is between what will be first, MRG or the new Berlin Oof. Airport? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I wouldn't put um, my money on either of those. 
<laughs> I think the Emirates I think you're right. first, actually. <laughs> or and Istanbul as well will be first. Uh, the other thing that that uh, have you seen uh, since we're talking still uh, a foreign board, Have you seen this new the Airbus Beluga XL? This huge whale. It's very thing. cool. <laughs> It's just it massive. Look it up, guys. It's like, it's it, it's not really pretty. Let's no. be honest. It's uh, really yeah, and they've funny. they've done, they've they know they're not trying to make it look all business like and cool. Even though it has a very workhorse uh, role, they've painted an actual whale face on it. <laughs> That's I love it. Yeah, I do too. I think it's such a nice <laughs> thing to do. Uh, and is, isn't that the the one that will carry parts for three fifty or something like that, or three thirty? I think I so. But that's that's why it's so big. Yeah, and right, it's, this time it's based on a three thirty. The previous incarnation was based on a three hundred, so I think it's yeah. it's it's much more efficient. Um, it's neat looking, and I I like planes like this because it's so bizarre. It is <laughs> another thing that 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 was bizarre. It's the story you sent me was that the U.S. This is not a terrorist plot. The U.S. was wanting or willing to blow a Saudi plane. So this is not a John Le Carré uh, plot here. I think they're doing that for test Yeah, they reasons, acquired right? – I've forgotten about this. They'd acquired a 777, an ex-Saudi triple seven, with the – was this – was it the army? It was given to the army. Yeah, the army. You're right. The to, army. The to army. blow up just to test the, you know, um, rather sinister – uh, idea of how uh, what happens to an airplane when something detonates inside of it uh, at various points and they've done these tests in the past and there was a lot of talk about should we make um should we redesign the baggage containers to have this sort of honeycomb uh material on the inside that would absorb uh at least some of uh, of the impact of an explosion but yeah it was i don't know if they've done it yet um but it will be interesting to follow sure. because you know, will they will they tell us what the learnings are? Probably not in the specifics, no. but I don't I don't even know if I want to see the footage. There's something horrendous about seeing an airplane destroyed yeah, no, in such a, no. a violent manner. But I thought that that was that was kind of interesting. And the article, which we'll put on the, out on Twitter, is worth reading as well. Yeah, it's on the drive.com. The uh, there was this thing that I think was it done in the 70s. It's the footage you can see on YouTube if you look it up. This uh, they had. I don't remember. Was it seven three seven or seven fifty seven? Maybe they had made it crash. So they removed oh, control. Oh, it's a seven oh seven. Oh, even uh, even older then. And they make it crash. And it's really like like it's, it looks like Hollywood, but it's not. It's the plane crashing with full fuel load to see. They had cameras inside. They wanted to see the spread yeah. of the fire within the aircraft to see what should be done to enhance yeah. security. I mean, if you're afraid of flying, just don't look the video up, well, guys. It, because it, really it, made, it actually <laughs> precipitated a lot of changes in the composition of aviation, of jet fuel, yeah. uh, the design of fuel tanks, the design of fire suppression systems, because it sort of, it sort of crash lands and it's spectacular in all the wrong ways, but it, it changed <laughs> and revolutionized, frankly, so much of how how those systems are designed it also taught uh fire crews a lot about how fire spreads and where the kind of the weak points are if you will both in the fire itself yeah that was a point it was, yeah, it yeah, was yeah, really yeah, it was yeah. definitely worthwhile yeah but it was a remote controlled 707 that they crashed i think somewhere here in in, in california they did it harrowing footage but we learned a lot 
<laughs> I, I wasn't able to join you this time in California because we have a long-standing plan with Alex to go to see the Mojave, to see the actual, you know, the yes. cemetery of planes One of together. my favorite places. So not this year, but probably next year because I really want I don't want to see a plane crash, but I want to see that because it's very close to where you live uh, for yeah. the summer. I'm very envious. Although we're still having a good summer in the UK. I mean, we had one, two days of rain. It's back to, it was like 38 Celsius the other no, thank day you. in London, man. 38. That's 100, that's 100 degrees Fahrenheit, guys. It's a, Yeah, it's the insane. UK is not built for that type of weather. <laughs> not, not at all. Another story you just triggered. You, you're so good, Alex, because I don't have the notes in the right order. And every time you say something, I'm like, ah, oh, it triggers another hey, story. Hey, that's what happens this... episodes. <laughs> there was this crazy story uh, in a Chinese airline. I don't remember now because, again, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, so in China, let's say that the rules for vaping in the cockpit are very lenient. So you're not supposed to f- smoke anymore anywhere. You're not supposed to vape also because, you know, vaping, all, all, especially the cheap ones have batteries that could explode like a Samsung yeah. S8, right? <laughs> so vaping is forbidden anywhere. Actually, they say it on most of now the current uh, safety videos. But the pilots on this aircraft were actually vaping, one of them or the two of them. I don't remember. And because it, you know, there was a little bit of a smoke in the, the flight deck, he switched a button which was supposed to be just to remove a bit of air but actually what it did was a wrong button and pushed all the smoke back to the main cabin which triggered an alarm so the guys didn't know what the alarm was but it was like a smoke alarm so what they did they descended super rapidly thinking there might be a fire (laughs) might be a fire the oxygen mask dropped down so everybody puts the oxygen mask when they realized that it was nothing and then i hope people that listening to this will see the enormity of the stupidity of this. They said, oh, well, good. Now that we're sure there's nothing, let's go back up on our original flight path and continue the flight. Guys, masks only have 15 minutes of oxygen. You know, it's not even oxygen. It's actually like a, this uh, powder, a chemical reaction or something, right? That means that if actually something had happened, then there was no more masks. Uh, it's extraordinary. I mean... Once you do it once, you're not supposed to go back. Yeah, you're supposed you're, to land because the, yeah. the aircraft. <laughs> I, I I cannot believe this story. It's I I fear that with the rapid expansion of air service in in China that's that's happened and is still going, you will have incidents like this. And I'm, and I'm sure that we'll hear we're we're not hearing about you know every ten for the ones that we do hear about. So I you just hope it's silly things like that. Although this this isn't necessarily silly, but no one was hurt. Um, no, no, no one's hurt, and it's just like I'm. It's just I'm thankful almost that we're getting the stories because it means they're not being like completely banned by any government. Why right? <laughs> means that hopefully you know they learn. Hopefully they're being uh, you know get a sanction to pilots for for vaping. I don't know if that airline allows it or not. Maybe it allows it, but at least for once they had the emergency. Well, now that you have the emergency, don't go back up full pressurized with no actually oxygen mask. If actually something will happen in the next. 10 minutes or an hour. So, well, at least we got the story, which means probably somebody in China yeah. got the story. Well, that's the thing. The prevalence of, <laughs> of, of cell phone cameras and social media mean that generally these things are not going to go without publicity, for better yeah, or worse. Really. <laughs> for better, I was about to say sometimes for worse. We, we're receiving too many stories, guys, by the way. I want. I know I do that in every episode. We want to apologize for not quoting every single one of you to giving shout-outs because... We're reading too many stories and we have to, because we only have an hour and a half, an hour, 40 minutes, and not every story. But I've seen stories of like 
this girl that she's i think she started to pee in the galley because the plane was taxiing and the lavatories were closed i think it was whiz air which is very appropriate <laughs> peeing and whiz but anyway <laughs> Anyway, we cannot cover all these stories, but man, sometimes I wish there was no cameras. Oh, no. Kind of stuff. Oh, I <laughs> <laughs> okay, but since I'm shout outs, a few shout outs, but before, uh, neither Alex and I do have Android phones, but I've heard uh, from one of our beloved listeners that uh, Google Podcasts, which is equivalent of Apple Podcasts or iTunes, uh, our show is there listed. I know our show works. Well, when it's downloaded, the show doesn't stream, apparently. Anyone else who is using uh, Android, can you try Google Podcasts, which is the official Google Podcast app, and let us know if Layovers works well there. Because I went on my dashboard on Google, and it seems to be okay, and I don't know what I should do. But if I hear that many of you have issues listening on Google Podcasts specifically, not any of the other Android apps, please let us know and I'll try to figure out what I should do uh, because it, a lot of people are on Android, so we don't want, don't want to exclude yeah. those. So a few shout-outs, I said. First, yeah, a few reviews um, from uh, BennyBoy456. This is a funny, interesting, witty aviation podcast. We're a perfect oh. presenting match, Alex. Uh, we will, You learn a lot of little things along the way. And... Again, he says, I am currently going through their amazing back catalog. It's always a treat to listen to a new episode. So again, someone who goes through the back catalog. Guys, we're really not proud of our first episodes. No, actually, we are. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sam Holt 123 says a fantastic podcast, relevant and humorous. Thank you so much. And probably the best title ever for a podcast review, uh, Apologies on Behalf of hmm. Hong Kong. Intriguing. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> Minecraft uh, Minecraft FBI 2 says that, hello, I'm working towards becoming a commercial pilot in the future. Oh, wow. We yeah. should have you as a guest one day. And I was shocked to find that nobody had sent you a review from Hong Kong, so I fixed it. That's kind. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's at Suleiman 77W, so it means that you're probably going to fly the 777ER, I hope for you. Uh, if you want to see more of Hong Kong and me trolling. Yeah, so you're not, you're not trolling. Uh, please feel free yeah, to absolutely. set the stories very very and thank you so much for uh having written that uh, so now we have a, a review from hong kong very happy yeah. very, very very happy there's on twitter at parky parks says that another brilliant episode that's our last one to listen during my uh, car commute to work and inspired me for some great travels in the past 12 months he's been to croatia rome oslo naples budapest dubai hyderabad florida dubai singapore and Kuala Lumpur in the next six months. Yeah, well, see, see, he's charting as much as we do. Now. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good thing to inspire people to travel a lot, but at least to travel, yes, yeah, you man. should travel. So that's for sure. Open your minds and do that. And, yeah, and his name is Gavin Parks. And what else? Oh, yeah, and uh, Sunil Karkara, so at Glucode, one of her early listeners, still listens with much dedication to our show. Says he's, he was listening to the last episode on board uh, Air India 183 from uh, Delhi to San Francisco. That's one I was going to say, that's a world, long actually. flight. I, I flew out of San Francisco recently and saw that flight uh, sitting at the uh, at the gates in the international terminal, and I was just figuring out how the heck did they do that that flight that's just uh, <laughs> amazing i'd be i'd be very interested actually if you have time to send us some notes on how that was i, I said it already but clearly soon uh, because he flies clearly more than we do and 
like very different product than we do as well. Uh, although it, it does try as well some BA products to here in London, we need to have you on the show because we need to understand how you like all the other aircraft and airlines yeah. that we've never seen. You might not have a chance to see. Although you told me, Alex, that uh, now you're free. What, what did you write me the other day that you're finally free? Yeah, for this I've, year? I've, I'm going to hit <laughs> with the flights I already have booked. I'm going to make requalify for gold on on BA, so I, I can. Uh, try some airlines outside of the one world alliance if, if it makes sense so i'm i've i've been glancing in other directions and i'm looking forward to experiencing some new products yeah that's what i do because i'm gold until 2020 i'm sorry alec uh so <laughs> there's also uh at roll of funk on twitter how did you know i was secretly hoping for a new episode for tomorrow's helsinki to narrate a flight well yeah well of course we know we know everything we know when you are guys are flying so that's why we put the episode that's special dedication for you and he saw at haneda so he must have done both narita and haneda as me and i'll come to that in a minute he, he saw the um, the new lufthansa livery on the 350 so i've never seen that and he says that uh, i know the new style has been dividing opinions Personally, I find it calm and understated. I think he's right. It's great. It's yeah, great livery again. Uh, since uh, I'm on Lufthansa, I had a few questions about the trip report in brackets I did the uh, last episode. People asked me, did you have a pajama? Yes, there was a pajama in first class Lufthansa. <laughs> it was actually one of the best pajamas I ever had. It's, it's really good. and It's really classy. I still think that I should do maybe one day a blog post and taking pictures of every single one pajamas and maybe yours as well. And we can compare notes and saying which was the yeah. best of all the pajamas we ever gotten. My favorite is still Isiana, but mostly for the style. It's, you know, colorless and it's very stylish. It's still my favorite. Uh, but this one is very good. Uh, people also ask me about the amenity kit. So it's no longer the small Remoa. You remember, like a very small Remoa, like also Thai Airways does. It's another simple black cube in leather, but very well done and very well appointed as well. So that, that was uh, actually good. The one thing I'll, I'll mention here, Lufthansa is probably in first class the best eye mask I've ever tried, even better than my favorite, which is uh, Emirates uh, first class. It's really, you know, all the the, the eye masks usually are like like an eight, mm-hmm. like an infinity sign. So like a, the this one has you look like some kind of uh, flashman or something. It's like super big, but very so it really covers all potential light coming in but very delicate how it falls and your i actually sleep with it during the summer here in london because i have you know the sun yeah, wakes up at 5 30 or something so so it's actually no it's that that one guys it's one i'll i'll, I'll do maybe the same i'll do a, a post with pictures of all the eye masks because alex and i must have yeah. a huge collection of eye masks and medical kits <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh yeah what else yeah, well, you had um our friend Anton uh, at Derlus on Twitter, he said that uh, one thing I meant to mention after the ORD episode, Chinese airlines are mopping up the pilot ranks here in Russia as well. But instead of offering competitive wages, Aeroflot used their clout to make authorities delay critical certification paperwork. So basically, that's how they blocked pilots from Aeroflot to, trend, to go to China. That, it seems wow. like shooting yeah. yourself in the foot. And uh, since we are in Russia, uh, an interesting story, because I, I just read that the other day that Air Belgium, is that called? So Air Belgium is one of the new startup airlines in Europe. They do uh, Brussels to Hong Kong. Uh, their first flight, which was like maybe two weeks ago, had a whopping 15 Yikes. passengers on board. 15, yeah. Well, 
to be honest, uh, I want to fly that because having an mm -hmm. aircraft with the yeah, very, very be comfortable, awesome. and you would get very good service, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> well, I hope so. Yeah, uh, uh, Primera mm. Air, whatever these the new the new airlines are doing, they will just cancel the flight because, guys, I'm not saying do not fly them, but they're canceling every single flight that has not enough passengers. So I'm not sure these very attractive airfares uh, stick to Norwegian guys as long as yeah. they're in business. At least. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. So, uh, and that was interesting because I don't know if you know, guys, I know that Alex does, that to go from Europe to Japan, for instance, or Hong Kong, uh, all these airlines have to go through Russian airspace. Uh, Russian airspace is a very awkward airspace. Not, I mean, it's beautiful, beautiful scenery, but it's awkward because it's since it was USSR back when they signed this uh, big agreement about over-territory uh, over flights, so the rights of flying over other countries. They never signed that. So they signed bilateral agreements and they allow airlines to fly ad hoc. And their policy is they allow usually one single airline per country. One exception being the UK, both BA and Virgin have this authorization. But that means... For Norwegian, it's a problem because SAS is already has the rights. And Norwegian is trying to, it's been months trying to get, because, you know, they fly now to Singapore, but that can go below Russia. They're trying to, to get other destinations in Asia. And of course, if they have to avoid the ocean airspace, that just, you know, the yeah. flight becomes super, super long and maybe not economically viable. They cannot get it. And the, the Russians are really adamant of like, Air France has it, that's the only airline in France. Lufthansa has it, only airline in, in Germany. SAS has it, and sadly, SAS is like three countries, so that, there you go. Uh, I think they tried, I think Norwegian even tried from Ireland, but they said, yeah, but you, because Aer Lingus, I'm not even sure they're flying that direction. But for the moment, it's, it's not flying. It's, it's, it's it a strange a str uh, situation, because really, that, that airspace is uh, it's, it's very, yeah, very and valuable. They know, it. they know exactly what they're doing. It, <laughs> you, you almost wonder if there's, I don't know, maybe this is the case, and they're just being obstinate, but there's if there's some sort of neutral third-party arbiter of things like this it feels like there should be yeah normally there is but for I, uh, if i'm not mistaken because you just mentioned money if i'm not mistaken i could be guys look it up i think it's a hundred dollars per passenger that flies over that is Russia. a lot of money that's a lot of money yeah that's a lot of money man hey, which which by the way tells me about, so why would they say only one airline i get maybe the political implication because that's a chessboard you know it's also like so they can put political pressure on a country saying oh we won't allow anyone else or we won't allow you anymore and that okay i mean this is political stuff and we're not going to go there but purely economically more airlines more, yeah. more money for yeah them, it's right? it's there's i'm that seems a lot more political than than financial the cynic in me says yeah, I think they also they 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 threatened to cut KLM's rights to do that when Amsterdam Airport said that they wanted to reduce the number of slots for Russian lending rights. They said, okay, if you do that, KLM loses its rights to fly. So then I think Amsterdam it's backtracked. Childish. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's fascinating to see to see that it's a it's an awkward story. That look it up, guys, if you're interested. It's very interesting by matter of uh, uh, of comparison. Back in probably just after when this treaty was signed, I think it was just at the end of the Second World War, it would take you, I think, 36 hours to go from Europe to, let's say, Japan. There was even a slower ride that would took you almost 90 hours to get there. <laughs> Man, we complained about 12 hours. 90 hours with like stops, I think, in... Uh, 
if I remember correctly, Rome, Beirut, Calcutta, Bahrain, Karachi, Yangon, Bangkok, Manila, and then it would arrive in <laughs> Japan. That's insane. Oh my god! Yeah, we should uh, we should uh, not complain as much. Can you imagine doing something like that? <laughs> Still talking about Asia because you spotted that. You remember um, the founder of Hainan Airlines yeah. is dead. Uh, pretty young, actually. I don't remember his age, but he was uh, below 60 for sure. I mean, of course, you know, Hainan is not in the best shape. Yeah. Lots of depth, let's put it that way. <laughs> but I don't think it was foul play. But uh, you saw the aircraft that could have been the aircraft that was bringing him yeah, back. Yeah, he was killed in an China, accident right? in the south of France. Um, he, he fell. In idle moments, I occasionally open up uh, one of the plane tracking apps and saw a plane doing a rather unusual route over basically over my house in the UK. And it was a VIP configured 787 owned by the HNA group, which is the parent company of Hainan, of which this man was the chairman. And you were you figured out that it perhaps was a repatriation flight. I don't know where it was going because it was it looked like it was going to join the Atlantic track or or maybe it was just doing a yeah, weird routing I somewhere. I don't, I don't know. But first of all, I didn't know they had a, a VIP 787 in their fleet there aren't that many so that was kind of neat to see but yeah uh quite a strange story all around for a troubled company i'm not sure what the future holds for them but they've as you said accrued in st a staggering amount of debt to aggressively grow the, not just their airline um interest but also their airport handling and and catering handling, and all that stuff catering and airports themselves yeah. so be very interesting to see. I mean, I, I wish them well, but it's true that uh, I think Airbus and Boeing are a bit uh, hitchy about will they actually mm. take uh, the delivery and yeah, will exactly. they actually pay? <laughs> so, well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, another thing that really also got it uh, started uh, that we talked about at you and me on, on messages quite a lot was this very interesting uh, study by OAG about the top 10 revenue routes last year, I mean, from uh, fiscal years, from April 2017 to March 2018. I was just going to spell the, the 10 routes that are most profitable. It's a study that's well done. Of course, the numbers are probably not exact because they don't have access to the books of the airlines, and that's just revenue. But it's it's, it's interesting because... So I'm just going to start uh, with the 10th one. So Singapore Airlines, uh, uh, Sydney to Singapore, then Air Canada, Toronto to Vancouver, Qatar Airways... Heathrow to Doha, then Cathay Pacific, Hong Kong to Heathrow, United, San Francisco to New York, AA, LAX to uh, Kennedy, Singapore Airline, Heathrow to Singapore, Emirates, Heathrow to Dubai, uh, Qantas, Melbourne to Sydney, and the first and the most profitable route in the world, apparently, BA, Kennedy Die. to Heathrow. Surprising. Five routes there have the term ethro so ethro is really a Which very is, profitable place to be going yeah, it's to funny, isn't it? because uh, of all the apd and stuff and the limited slots but i wonder if it's um they get some special deal on their on their landing fees i don't know i i i don't know it's the, the total revenue uh for that route surpasses according to that study 
uh, $1 billion dollar a year. <laughs> That's extraordinary, which actually tells me two things. First, I mean, we know that the routes from Heathrow are very expensive. Flying from Heathrow, if you don't live in the UK, guys, you don't realize how expensive it is to buy a ticket, which is why sometimes Alex and myself try to find routes like I just did starting from Paris, because it, it is very expensive. And especially the routes going to the east coast of the US are staggeringly expensive. <laughs> and uh, so, of course, that plays into that. But that means that maybe... I'm doing conspiracy theory here. Maybe PA doesn't really want a third runway because it allows them to mm-hmm. keep that price super high as long as they I don't, don't have think, competition. Yeah, is I mean, good they've for been them. vehemently against it because, uh, and they're using the whole uh, "we're not paying for it" line. But that—that's a very interesting theory. I, I think there might be some credibility there. That route is six percent of BA's total revenue in that 2017. Amazing. That's amazing. Given how many places they fly. <laughs> Interestingly, though, the, the 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 same guys broke that down by revenue per hours or hours okay. flown, and in that case, the highest is actually Heathrow to Dubai by Emirates, which seems to be very very profitable as well. Which explains why we have like twenty five billion flights a day from all the airports in the UK to Dubai. And they all pretty, because people, when they don't live in the UK, they might not realize that. But every time I fly Emirates, these planes are, every yeah. single one is full. It's, it's So it's it's actually very profitable. It's not, it's not about subsidies, guys. It's just people just fly to Dubai and then maybe elsewhere. But yeah, it's, it it's is. Profitable. It's, it's, it's it, those, and they did a really good job with the study by explaining the metrics and the methodology. It's It's well worth digging into. Yeah. So to my trip, I'm not. I'm going to try not to do two hours. So what I might be doing is only part of my trip in this episode and second part of the next one. So not to uh, bore you to death because I knew that last time when I spoke about uh, Lufthansa, I spoke for I think 25 minutes in a row, and Alex was getting asleep. And it's the morning. I have to respect his. You know, he just woke up. So <laughs> so, uh, so after I did that little thing meeting the 320 pilot who sells seats and olive oil to BA and et cetera. I, I went to Paris. I'll talk about Paris at the very end with Alex. What do we think about Charles de Gaulle? And I flew uh, KLM. So I arrived in Paris. I had built myself, since it were separate tickets, of course, BA and the rest of the trip, lots of time. I had to switch terminal. That was very quickly. I'll explain that at the end as well of the show. And I have only 50 minutes in Amsterdam. So I'm, I'm doing... Uh, Paris, uh, Amsterdam, and then KLM to Manila, which stops in Taipei. And so 50 minutes is okay in Amsterdam because now, and thank you, Alex, for telling me that, security, because I hadn't flown in Amsterdam in since 2011, actually. And back then, security were still yeah. mostly at the gates. Now you don't have no, uh, intra-security. So at least I knew I just had to run and I'd be fine. But that was 50 minutes. Only that, you know, I'm looking at the plane coming in on one of my flight trackers. I'm like, hmm, it's late and it's late and it's late. And I ended up, to make the story short, with about uh, 18 minutes of time in, <laughs> in, in Amsterdam, which to me, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to miss the plane. And there's not, it's not, a service to Manila is not like the ones we just mentioned in the top 10 routes. So there's not going to be like every two hours. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to miss a day, whatever. So I enter the, the aircraft, the 738, which I'll come also to, in a minute uh, too. And the highlight there was the crew. This was one guy. I arrive, he doesn't know me. And I tell him, I vocalize him like, guys, I have another flight. And I say, it's flight KLM uh, 107. Is it 107? And I'm not finishing the sentence. Service to Taipei. I'm like, yeah. So the guy knew by heart which service it was. And he says, 
yeah, it's 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 departs in whichever it was, maybe at that point, an hour and 20 minutes, something. And he looks at me and, says, mm. and I said, do you think I'm going to have time? He say, look, you should be having time because we the flight is actually very short, but I'll make sure to let the people know on the ground. That was, in terms, he didn't know me. I hadn't, I hadn't even seated yet, so he, didn't, he couldn't even know which passenger yeah, yeah. I was if he had read the manifest, for instance. So that was great service. I appreciate that a lot. And indeed, I made the flight, I had to run like crazy in Amsterdam airport. Supposedly, there's a fast track lane for people. We have these kind of delays when you have to go through uh, passport control because, you know, I'm going from Intra-Schengen, Paris and Amsterdam to uh, external. The, I didn't see it, but since it was an e-gate, I scanned my passport very fast and I arrived. I was sweaty as hell, but I made it. So thank him. I don't, again, because I'm not as good as Alex, I don't remember his name. I should have, but he was very, very good and I appreciate that. I was very happy for that first flight to actually fly uh, yeah. a 737-800 because we never do that in Europe, right? It's only 320s. I will still say, and Alex, maybe you can back me or challenge me on that, that, yeah, I was happy to fly it. It was an old one, maybe 12 years old or something. But I mean, old, it was okay. But clearly, and I see why people complain more about space in the US than they do in Europe, it's narrower than the 320s. And only the, the seats, because by definition, you know, you have to put the same 3-3 in a slightly narrower tube, a bit narrower, but that's fine. But especially I find that the overhead bins, and I know that in the new version of the 737, they kind of corrected yeah. that, are very narrow. And that created a lot of turmoil for the poor flight attendants trying to play Tetris and put everybody's stuff on there and that's something that i will say probably the 320 overhead bins are a bit smarter because they just open you know there are these blocks that open whereas the the 737 of these drop down yeah it it definitely feels especially with the overhead bins and like you say they've they've paid a lot of attention to that on the the newer ones but yeah it doesn't feel as spacious i mean it's it's not like wow it's like you know so much room for activities in here on a 320 it's not, but it definitely just the way it's laid out. And I think if you don't have what's Boeing's lighting system called, I can't remember what it's called, but they've got this neat lighting system, which is optional, that actually makes the cabin feel much more spacious. KLM don't have that. And so you do feel with those darker seats, it all feels a little bit more claustrophobic. Yeah. And I will say that's a thing, though. Thank you for Again, you see, you read my mind. And <laughs> that's the thing I was not. Uh, there's two things. I don't like the color blue, and I'll come to that in a minute when I talk about my second flight. But the fact that they chose this blue almost everywhere because it's KLM's color, I think it ages not as well as white, for instance. I know that a lot of people criticize that all European airlines are just have like plain white everywhere, but at least it feels a bit airy and it just you cannot really tell the age of an aircraft because they all look the same. Yeah. Whereas that blue, you can it clearly dates. You can say, yeah, that was a design that they used to do in the 90s. Not anymore. And that enters your mind as like, ah, it's an old aircraft. And actually, it was not that old. Probably just the design is old. And they kept doing it for quite a while. So that's not something I did enjoy, to be really honest with you. The one thing, though, I just said quite old aircraft. Every single seat, they had power. Wow. That's yeah. unusual. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I really enjoyed that, actually. But the funny thing is when we were taking off, they said on the PA, please, everybody remove everything from power. I was like, hmm, do they need a power oh, to take off? Or- <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the funny bit here is that I had put my, because I did to fly KLM, Air France was later and also Delta. So I had my booking code 
and my name, all the three apps. And it's really funny how they try to compete with each other to tell you what is the next uh, bit of your trip. I really thought that KLM would give me the KLM information, Delta, the Delta information, and Air France, the Air France information. But since it's one single ticket, they all were notifying me. And uh, actually, pretty cool. No, <laughs> but that's I cool. To the point that I could actually have checked in on three of them. Really? Yeah, but once I did with one, then of course it stopped working on the other because you know I guess the system would tell that I'm actually already checked in. But uh, the, the, I could have checked in with the Delta app in Paris to my Paris to Amsterdam. It was possible. Wow, it's amazing. That is <laughs> I cool. did KLM because I wanted to try KLM app, which you also said it's pretty good. Actually, it is good. Yeah, it it was there? there's a couple of good features which I was really impressed with. But yeah, I, I had never thought about. I've I've had that with. American Airlines and BA. I haven't tried Cathay on the with BA or have I? I can't remember. But the interoperability is mixed at best. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't able to verify everything because obviously once I had checked in with one, I couldn't do with the others. But they kept, you know, sending me the update. This is your gate. I'm like, oh wow. So I received my gate in Amsterdam when I was running like a madman on Tripit, Tripcase, everything plus KLM plus Air France plus Delta F. 34, F-34. Like, yeah, I know, I know, guys. At I least know, they were I mean, all saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you would be like freaking out. <laughs> One other thing that you would have loved, because we complain about that sometimes, they actually say, the PA says, uh, after the safety video, they say, you will need to use headphones if your device produces oh, sound. Oh, thank goodness. Please, all airlines follow suit. Yeah, right. <laughs> So the second flight, triple seven, was it? A, I think it was two hundred, not oh. triple three hundred. Uh, it was good. So it's also not a newer aircraft. It's a two 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 configuration. It's similar actually to what United might have on bigger flight, but especially Qatar three thirties have. You don't have all ail access. It's a live flat. The very positive thing is that Dutch people are tall. Yeah. So the seats. A Qatar, horrifyingly squeezy. <laughs> you cannot turn when you're sleeping. I'm not talking the 350. I'm not talking the uh, the 380. I'm really talking the 330, which they use are medium routes, which is really not a great seat on Qatar. So on this one, it's not only very long. When I was in full life flight, I could actually just not touch the end of it. So that's actually pretty cool. But also quite large. I'm not a large person per se, but being I'm tall, it's, that bit was actually that's comfortable good. for for a 222, which is now we're spoiled, Alex and myself, because we've to Cathay and even BA, which is a bit awkward, but at least you you have more privacy. With those, to be honest, it's more than satisfying. Yeah. It's it's maybe if you have to pay full price and if the price is similar to something that has full ale access, will I choose KLM? No. But at least I didn't feel completely squeezed, which some airlines, you know, they tell you, oh, of course, you have full life flight. And the life flight is so, so, so tiny that you don't actually have life flight, which, by the way, was my experience with Delta much later on in my trip. Um, the rest of the experience, man, is... I mean, there was one standout crew. She didn't not only stand out because she was great, but she stood out because she was taller than me, man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's quite a thing. Yes, yeah, she was amazing. So that, you know, I was happy because of someone like that. But the rest of the experience, you know, I don't know, man. They give you this uh, amenity kit, which is not bad, but has nothing in it. Like literally nothing. As a, as a pair of uh, socks and an eye mask and uh, a comb, and that's pretty much wow. it. You know, like, why would you give me? Then don't give me an actual amenity kit. Put the stuff in the lavatories. Yeah, and just yeah. give me an eye mask. You know, like, and then. 
there was, there was a dinner and there was a breakfast uh, before landing at Taipei. I didn't take the breakfast because I knew that then I would take Taipei to Manila, which is only uh, two and a half hours. The first flight is about 13 hours. So I took a dinner because I didn't have much to eat before that. I was pacing myself. Yeah, yeah. Man, I took the, I shouldn't have, but I took the, the beef. Worst dot beef dot ever dot. I've never eaten something so disgusting wow. than this. Now, honestly, it was like a shoe, so it was impossible to eat, and it was the taste was bad. It was really I didn't finish it, obviously. I didn't tell anything because I didn't want to be that entitled ass, of course, but it was really, really bad. And I was like, okay, so I'm departing from Amsterdam, which is your home base. You don't even have the excuse of, oh, you have to deal with whatever catering that there is in whichever city. It's really bad. That's frustrating. That is really sad. And you know what? On the follow-up flight, so again, same aircraft, different crew. So you arrive in Taipei. They say, everybody out. Taiwanese regulation. You cannot stay in. You have to take everything. If if you forget everything, consider it lost. You're like, okay, guys, wow. I'm taking everything. Although it's the same seat, whatever, when you come back. That bit, I had a different crew. And I'm sure they balance the crews. You know, once they do 13 hours, they stay there. And then they, the other one does just a bit to Manila. And then they switch again or something. There must be something to, yeah. to keep within the, the, the regulations. There was a small lunch and there was pasta. And this time I said, no beef. You know, it was like, yeah, no yeah, you've learned that lesson. But that pasta was probably one of the best I ever eaten. But maybe because it was from Taiwan, I don't know. But that pasta was simply pasta, pesto pasta, you know, nothing really. But honestly, one of the most delicious pastas I've ever eaten in a flight. So really, I, I don't know if it was I was unlucky or whatever. But I mean, just for that, I felt like, ah, yeah. you know, no. <laughs> Something for a mastication nation. We'll yeah. talk about that. Yeah, we need day. to go back and do a redux. <laughs> So a, a few other things about that flight, and I'll do the rest in the next episode. A few other things about that flight is uh, I, because I think Alex and I were very much vocal about that as well. We both said that always KLM has and is very forward thinking when it comes to use of social media. They're the champions. Well, I tried because again, you know, I was in Paris about to maybe miss the flight. I said, okay, what do I do? Oh, well, they're very good at Messenger and Twitter DMs, whatever. So I sent them a Twitter DM and a Facebook message just saying, okay, this is, and I was very proactive. I looked at what people were doing. Name, etiquette number, a booking reference, everything. So they cannot go back and say, oh, we're missing. We don't know if it's really you, whatever. Yeah. And well, the only thing they were sending me is like, oh, well, if you lose your files, you'll be automatically rebooked. That was the only message I got from Twitter DM. So I'm like, and it, you remember you were even telling me, it sounds like it's a robot that wrote mm-hmm. it which probably is. Yeah. And you're like, at least market as a robot, they'll be less frustrated. Yeah. But I'm like, mm. and then on Facebook Messenger, they replied nine hours after I sent a message. Oh, no. At least the DM, the Twitter DM was like an hour. So by the time I was in Amsterdam, I was able to read it, which was not very helpful. So um, I'm going to backtrack a bit of their champion. I, I don't know if they're using, maybe they're using way too many robots. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's going to be interesting to see how that, I, I did worry how that was going to scale. It sounds like it's been inelegant at best. Yeah. Absolutely. That's frustrating. Yeah. Even if it's a robot, make it say something like, uh, is there anything else I should help you with? Yeah. You know, like yeah, a follow-up yeah, yeah. message. And then if if it doesn't understand, then you get connected to a human being. Yeah, and it didn't. You remember, I even sent you the screenshot. The first thing I got was, how likely are you to recommend KLM to a friend? <laughs> oh. I was like, no, nothing. Yeah. You just gave me like a template answer. I'm not going to recommend anything to anyone, right? Before you've even finished the conversation, as far as you're concerned. Yeah, it's, 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 a, bit, it's, it's a bit dire. So KLM, so-so. 
both. So I'm not going to dwell on it, but I'm not sure I would fly them again. And there's nothing against KLM. I'll talk about the other flight in the next show, guys. Same group, Air France was much better. The irony is Air France is losing money and KLM is not. So maybe actually KLM has something right. But yeah, Very possibly. But you know what? So I was telling you, is KLM better than United? Oof. You know what? It's close, actually. It's close. Oh, it's horrible God. to say it, but it's... I really felt I was I was in an American airline. And uh, the color blue... What, huh? Do you like blue seats yourself? Because mm. in the US, everybody has blue seats, no? Delta has blue a, seats. A lot of people and do. And BA have got the... They've moved away from the blue seats. Haven't they? They're all black now. Um, but because yeah, you're blue right. for me tells me... I don't know. It doesn't age well. No. And I think it becomes... It's not. I get. I get it. What they do it because he becomes dirty. You know, dark blue gets maybe not as dirty as you know beige or whatever. But it just doesn't. No, for yeah. me, it doesn't age well, and it gives me. Uh, unlike Lufthansa's livery, it doesn't give me a premium. So KLM seats are blue. Air France seats are blue. Delta seats are blue. Everybody's blue, and I think bluish doesn't. No, no, exudes I agree. It, premium. It, yeah, it shows the wear and tear a lot faster. Yeah, I don't like it. So, ah, anyway, guys, I'll come to the next bit of the flight in the next episode because we need to move on to actually Charles de Gaulle. So, how do you like Charles de Gaulle, Jeez. Alex? When everybody, <laughs> when anybody says I'm going to Paris uh, and I'm going to fly, I spend at least an hour trying to dissuade them from doing it. <laughs> I mean, just it's it's not it's not one failing it's just so many things coming together to make for a horrendous experience where it is relative to the city how one gets from the airport to the city before you even get to the airport you're in a bad mood uh, yeah because it's it's a pain in the ass to get to the city or from the city that's their worst that's probably their worst bit i think so you know the, the french are so good france is so good at creating industrial projects you know they have the high-speed train yeah. they're one of the first one they have their the entire country has nuclear power plants i mean we can dislike nuclear power plants but when they set their minds to create something yeah. they do something and, and they but, do it well yeah exactly well that's why it's such a successful country but for that it seems that the form prevailed over function yeah. and you have this airport that is super big a bit out of paris but has no real link to get to the city. I mean, you have like an RER, which is like a regional train. And then you have, you know, the highway is backed up all the time. It's a nightmare. Yeah, it's 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 frustrating. And I think it's, it's like so many older airports, be it in Europe or North America, where it started as a an airfield in the 40s or 50s, and it's just grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. And grown. That is what it is, but the lack of a high speed or convenient or anything airport express <laughs> is just an infuriating thing. And then the airport itself is like something else. I can't. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, just to add on that, because I think we even said it in maybe 10, 15 episodes ago, they are planning to actually put a finally a high speed train oh, that goodness. goes from Paris to the center. Actually, there is a high speed train station next, but it doesn't go to Paris. It goes anywhere in France. So that's great if you want to go to Toulouse Which or whatever. Which I've done. Yeah. And, and you're right. It's, it's very convenient. I came up from the south of France and you get right there and you're there at the airport and it's great, but you can't get to Paris. Go to itself. Paris. <laughs> 
It's crazy. It's a TGV line, so it's yeah. Yeah. So they are planning to build one. Let's. I'm not holding my breath, but I mean, I hope they do it. Now, there's a very different experience when you are layovering in Paris and when you are actually going as an original destination airport, yeah. which we just mentioned, and also. And we'll start with the first one. There's a very different experience, whether you're T1, whether you're T2. There's also a T3, which is for low cost. We've never been to it, so we're not going to address it today. T1 is the oldest one. What do you think about T1? <laughs> is this like weird shape thing? Yeah, it's uh, like they were trying to be very space age in like the 60s. <laughs> exactly, you know? that's it. There's all these form of infection. Yeah, yeah. There's like it's like something out of the Jetsons. You you have all of these. The, are they are they escalators or are they travel like in like what are they? Thinking? They don't even go straight. At some point they go horizontal, then they go a little bit down, then they go up because they, I think they go under the road or something. Yeah. So it's you, you, it's really guys. If you've never been, you are on this people mover thing, escalator, uh, flat escalator ish for about fifteen minutes. Yeah. I mean, you can walk on it and go much faster. And literally, so imagine it's like big round thing. You get from one of the entrance, and then you get on one of these escalators, and you just get and get and get, and then you get to the actual terminal, yeah. which is tiny. It is compared to today's at least today's you know other airports you know there's no place for nothing there's not you know you're right and you're sort of belched out into this weird uh warehouse tiny warehouse where you're supposed to get your taxi or or meet your driver or whatever and it's <laughs> you, you come from like this what was clearly a vision of the future when they were building yeah, it with yeah, this clearly, dome yeah. of intersecting travelators and you're like, you look around going, what the hell is this? This is, again, <laughs> as you say, this is massively form over function. I mean, it's great for pictures because that Jetson style is great. I yeah. love it. I mean, oh, that's I mean, a yeah, pure... But if you're in a hurry. <laughs> exactly. I admire of architecture. It's great. And you should, guys, see it once in your life. But it's really not very practical, Mm-mm, let's be honest all. with you. Not at all. So now Terminal 2, it's much bigger. Terminal 2 is A, B, C, D, E, F. Yes. Uh, strangely enough, E is actually the latest one in the, the the flagship, if you want. So what, I'm just going to give you one single piece of advice. First of all, if you need to transfer from one to A, it's a bit of a pain. But if you need to transfer between, because, you know, it's A, B, C, D, you say, oh, they must be next to each other. And they are to a certain extent. But if you remember my trip report when I was, my flight was canceled from Helsinki, had to fly with Cathay Pacific from Paris uh, to Hong yeah. Kong. And I took uh, this bus, which this is the only way to transfer airside, this bus takes between 45 and an hour and a half to connect you between, and it, because it only goes, I think, clockwise. So if you're at, I don't know, B, and you need to go to A, or maybe I'm wrong here, it just goes all the others before you reach the one you want, which is completely stupid. Yes. So the more, one, my one piece of advice, if you ever have a layover, and if you're lucky enough to have either European passport, American, so basically if you have a visa-free entrance to France or Schengen, obviously, well, simply go out and walk. And I did that this time, which is I'll talk about in the next episode. But when I did, I did that, that was actually fast because then I had to go from F to A or something like that. It took me 12 minutes walking outside. And it's fine. You go out. Customs and everything was pretty okay. It's not the greatest, but it's okay. And you actually can make your flight. If you have to wait for that bus, which is also very hard to find because you have to go downstairs and it's badly written, you're effed. Yeah. So my advice, if you're lucky, again, sadly, if you don't have a passport, it allows you to get in. That's a problem. But if you can, I think that in nine cases out of 10, get out, walk, get back in. Honestly, guys, do that. That type of insight is gold because you would, as you say, 
you get so frustrated trying to take that bus when you realize you could do it in about 10% of the time if you just leave. I mean, going through yeah. immigration never sounds like the path of least resistance, but the, in this instance, it actually is. It does. And you know what? It, that actually changed my feeling about Charles de Gaulle because I said, okay, if I do that, then layovers of Charles de Gaulle become more acceptable mm-hmm. than before. Because before I was like, I'm, every single time I'm going to miss my flight and the bus was never showed up. There's no like a time. You don't know where he, he just says every 40, what, 40 minutes. And you're like, am I at the very beginning of the 40 minutes or am I, did I arrive? You have no, it's really the UX of that airport doesn't make sense. No. So a few more things. So the, the 2E is the one you might know because that's a long haul one. That's a flagship for Air France. It's this oblong tube, a little bit like maybe Bangkok or somewhat like Dubai. It's really nice. It's airy. I like that. I didn't like it in 2004 because part of it is just, uh, you know, they had just built it and just like crashed and like oh, <laughs> went down. But it's, it's, it, that bit, I would say it's like form meets function. Yeah. It's not only pretty beautiful, but it also kind of works as an airport. So that 2E is in itself, it's okay. The rest of the experience of Charlotte is hit and miss, guy. That's that's the biggest, I think, biggest thing you have to remember. It's hit and miss because you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes security is great. Sometimes security doesn't exist. It's just slow. The, the morning I was there, I literally waited 35 minutes for actually just someone to show up at security. That's extraordinary. <laughs> because people didn't have started their day because maybe of union hours. Or right, right. And sometimes they don't care. And, but sometimes as well, they cut corners. For instance, same morning, you know, I go through security. Like all the modern airports now, you have like this duty-free area before you actually get, get into, into the, the terminal. Yeah. yeah. They had open security, but not a duty-free. So basically, we were locked in between. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what? Oh, that's so bad. Where actually then, you know, I can like French people is that one guy sees us and say, oh, come come my way. And basically opened a staff-only door and made us walk the old oh, way nice. from the two passengers. So, you know, exactly. So it's they're not always like uptight as some no. other airports might be. They will do the effort. So again, it's hit and miss. Sometimes I love it. Oh, yeah, I like France and I like the food because there's lots of food options. And sometimes I'm like, what the hell is going on in this airport? Yeah. I think that the only airy part, again, is 2E. All the other terminals are a bit cramped. Mm. Uh, they can be a, they're, they're not the best experience. But again, it's one of the big airports of this world. So you can't miss it. You have to do it once in your life, guys. I'm sorry. But. And it really is. One of the things that struck me the last time I flew out of Charles de Gaulle is how big it is physically as an airfield. Huge! Like you taxi and you taxi Forever. and you taxi and you taxi. And it, like, where, are we driving to wherever we're going? This is incredible. It's like Amsterdam. I mean, Amsterdam, yeah. you're kind of prepared for it, but you're sort of meandering out of taxiways and past other terminals and you know, yeah. cargo areas yeah. and maintenance areas going, where are we going? <laughs> Actually, it's great for the views. And when you land or when you take off, guys, just take a look. There's room. They could. They have four runways. They could be eight easily. Yeah. There's nothing around There's it. There's nothing around it. In that sense, it's good planning, like Istanbul we mentioned earlier, but just do the freaking link to go there. Uh, it's. I was saying until recently, it's the worst airport in the Western Hemisphere, and a lot of people say that. Is that still the case for me? I'm not sure, because now I think that Frankfurt has edged it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because of my past experiences but it's uh yeah it's it's huge 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 i don't know if they plan to do another runway because it, it doesn't feel as busy i mean it's busy it's like 70 million passengers a year but it feels the airfield seems empty with 70 million passengers here because so you can have like 120 without even adding another runway it's, it's insane actually that is insane 
for uh, for um, lovers, for AV geeks, AV geeks, I never know, to F as one very cool feature. They they have these uh, expansions with all the gates are. They all windows. Everything is window. That's great because you can see the apron. They actually call these things, that's so French, peninsulas. Yeah, peninsulas. Very romantic. So French. Vive la France. The cool thing from there is you can, you're so close to, usually in 2F, you have 320s, 390s, etc. But you're very, very, very close. You can see everything. You can see the life of an airport, people coming out, deplaning, etc. It's That is really cool. You have a great view as well if you have access to the Air France Lounge because it's actually not underground, but almost on the ground floor of the airport. So you see the, the airplanes from below and they're very close to the gates. That is actually very cool. So for Ave geeks like you and me, Alex, it's a good airport for that. Nice. There you go. Redeeming feature. <laughs> yeah, redeeming. Guys, if you have any comments about Charlotte Gold, any bad experience, or you love it to death, just let us know. Hate us on, on, on Twitter, uh, <laughs> Facebook, wherever you want. <laughs> Email. I had so many other shout outs and the rest of the trip, plus Alex Alaska trip comes in the next <laughs> episode. I, I cannot wait for that one. That will be the first 20 minutes of our show next time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> are you yourselves. flying anywhere? No. Boston, no? Oh, yes. Well, yeah, for, thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm flying to Boston. <laughs> um, I'm doing JetBlue Mint again. I'm looking forward to that. So, yeah, I did it on Thursday night. You're doing Mint? Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I think they might be on a reconfigured one as well, which they've slightly spruced up, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, I'm so jealous <laughs> now. So, okay, we'll have to talk about Alaska and Mint in go. the next episode. <laughs> um, as for me, uh, my travel, actually, I said I wouldn't, but I might travel, but that will be after the recording of the next episode because that will be just after mid-August. So until then, everybody, happy travels. Safe travels, guys. <laughs> <laughs>